Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Thank you for joining us. My guest today is Natalia Teague. We just learned that her name is Natalia now. We've been calling her Natasha for a long time. Welcome to The Cubic Report. Thank you so much for having me again. Uh, this new name. <laughs> <laughs> Natalia, it's going to be hard for me to call her that here on this podcast. We did the last podcast three years ago, three years ago in June in 2019. She is a coordinator of our Russian language publications at the United Church of God. She does an excellent job with editing, translation, and uh, just coordinating, and even deciding which articles to have in the various special issue of the Russian Beyond Today magazine. She is from originally from Belarus. She has come to live in the United States. And uh, the interesting thing about her and me is that our roots both go back to former USSR countries. Mine with my parents both coming from Ukraine and Natasha or Natalia, I'm gonna have to get used <laughs> to that, had, does come from Belarus. She was born in the far east of the USSR, of Russia actually, near the city of Vladivostok, actually out there towards Alaska. So oh, she, she's been around it's, the it's world. It's quite far from Alaska. Actually, the city is very close to Korea and China. Right. I think that you said at one point, actually, when you were evacuated in Chernobyl, that you could actually see the lights of China. Oh, yeah. When uh, I ran away with my son, after Chernobyl blowout, I uh, flew to my brother in Khabarovsk, and from his balcony, I can see China. It was so close. <laughs> well, that's what we want to do here. We want to pick up our story where we left off. In the podcast three years ago, we talked about her background and how she really became part of the church and how she had come to the United States. And uh, she is a very, very faithful, God-fearing woman. This is the thing that is very impressive about her. And I know that when we talk about the content of us in the magazine, is that when I talk to her on the level that we do, she really does understand the spiritual significance and the spiritual wording that is so very vital in getting information out. But N Natalia, uh, <laughs> I have to get used to saying it's calling you okay. Natalia. We need 22 more years. 22 because more we, years. We know each other for 22 years. That <laughs> you need to learn. <laughs> right. We met actually two, in the year 2000 in Estonia when she and her daughter, Liana, came to Estonia, and uh, that's when I first met her. Never realized that she would become part of really our lives and that she would come and live where, where she is. But one area that we want to focus on today is that she grew up or she lived in the city of Gomel, G-O-M-E-L, mm -hmm. that's in Belarus. And uh, it's uh, not very far at all from Chernihiv, where I have worked with a rehabilitation center, and not far at all from Chernobyl, from where the ill-fated accident took place in 1986, where Natasha lived. And at the time of the disaster that took place, she lived in Gomel. In fact, two days after the explosion took place, two or three days, she was not even aware that something had happened in the Chernobyl nuclear plant. It was how far away? Uh, um, I think it's a 70 miles. But because we didn't know anything, uh, it was May days, like 1st of May, 2nd of May, it's a holidays in uh, Soviet Union, and then we became independent, but we still uh, celebrate all 
communist <laughs> communist holidays and um, uh, May Day it was a very special. Uh, some people went uh, on demonstrations. Uh, some people will went uh, to picnics, and my family with my son went even much closer uh, to Chernobyl. And it was sunny day, nice day, and we didn't realize that it's such high radiation around. Give us some of your impressions of that time. Uh, first, we didn't know for quite a while. I believe we didn't know for maybe 10 days what happened. And I really, and again, I really believe that if uh, scientific offices in Sweden, then Finland and Norway didn't catch such radiation, the level of radiation, that they didn't even understand what is going on. They thought that something wrong with the equipment. Mm-hmm. It's why whole world learned that Chernobyl blowout, and we didn't know anything. And because of knowledge from the from the West, they could not keep it secret anymore <laughs> from their own population. <laughs> well, the doctor that we work with in the Chernihiv area, which is about 40 miles due east of uh, Chernobyl, he was getting extremely high readings on his decimeter, on his yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Geiger counter. And so he went to the city officials and said, look at this thing, it's, it's, it's uh, reading off the scale. And they told him, settle down, you need to recalibrate <laughs> your, your, your uh, machine here. And uh, the, the cover-up, the crude cover-up, was really added to the problem. Yeah, I understand, because first, nobody ever believed that uh, it can happen. Because in Soviet Union, they're always telling us everything is very secure. And then we learn that, yes, it's secure to the point that something happened. Then after it's happened, the information is secure, secret, (laughs) that nobody will know. (laughs) And uh, by the way, all officials who come in to visit Chernobyl, even Gorbachev, all officials who come in, who came to to the area, they bring in uh, with them the water, food, and uh, of course they help them uh, to clean out after, and uh, they know it's dangerous. But they never care about people. And even my heart is bleeding even now for soldiers. They bring in soldiers and to clean out area. They call it liquidators. Uh, yeah, but it was liquidators was different. Oh, okay. It was just guys from the young guys from the army, mm-hmm. age of eighteen to twenty, and there, pick up the people with these gra- graphites. The, the the graphite. Yeah, 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 graphite. Mm-hmm. Such high radiation with beer beer hand. Oh. you know, yeah. and put in the buckets and bring it somewhere. Just for sure, this guy's already dead. Mm-hmm. This is, for me, it's most upsetting stuff that nobody care about people. And people care about others, people, stuff. Mm-hmm. They give their lives that minimize the problem. It was very difficult to minimize, but so many of them give their lives that uh, to uh, go to the area, they know for sure, a couple minutes you are dead. 
but mm-hmm. they anywhere they went. Mm-hmm. And I think you've told us before that the amount of radiation from the Chernobyl accident was about 200 times that of Nagasaki and yeah. Hiroshima. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, it was terrible. It's just amazing that uh, the Russian mentality from whether it's service, civil service, or military, they have such little regard for their own people. I realized only about it recently. I, you know, I was so patriotic always, and I thought that, oh, we are for motherland, and I didn't realize, yes, motherland, but where is the care about people? Real care. Now I'm reading so a lot of literature uh, about true history, and for me, I use this word already, painful, but for me it's very painful. You know, Natalia, you know, you're expressing pain, and I just really feel a lot of yeah. pain, pain right yeah. now, too, because we've been working with Chernihiv, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the people there as a result of the nuclear accident. And we started working in 1996, 10 years after the accident. And our job with the doctors that I was working with from the United Kingdom and and, and other places, we helped to establish that center at that time. It was painful because there were so many children that were affected, especially with thyroid problems, uh, because that was a, a plume of radioactive iodide was cast over the city of, of Chernihiv. And there were many, many cases of, especially girls, uh, teenage girls that had to have surgery and had mm. to have their thyroid taken out and, and thyroid cancer was prevalent. But we started working with that at that time. Now, almost 25 years later, we're working again in that area with the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine, where Chernihiv, first of all, was bombarded with radiation. I was bombarded with artillery. And the, the pain that I think all of us feel is almost at the point of being hard to, to be able to manage. Uh, I completely on your side because many mornings I, when I wake up, I, I'm, I'm hoping that it's a dream because I, I cannot imagine that it's reality. Like city of Chernigov, I know it very well, beautiful city. It's like one and a half hour from my city mm-hmm. to drive. And it's a beautiful old city. My city a little bit bigger because my city is half million and Chernigo was like... 300,000. Yeah, 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 yeah. But old, beautiful European city with very old roots. Mm-hmm. Many, like, I don't know, my city is like uh, more than 1,000 years they, they, they started. Gomal? Yeah. Oh. And I believe Chernihiv is much older. Yeah, I think that Chernihiv goes back to some of the churches there are, yeah. are over a thousand years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's such beautiful, green, beautiful European city. And when I, I'm thinking about what is, hev- what is happened with this city now, I just, I cannot be in peace. Even mm-hmm. I'm trying my best, but I cannot. Because I, I communicate with our subscribers whose family is living uh, in the village of Cher- uh, close to Chernigov, what, how they survive. They cut big, uh, big trees and put the cross of the road, many of them, that Russian tanks cannot come through. Mm-hmm. It's why uh, they secure themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Of course, um, they produce all food for themselves. Mm-hmm. They, they bought flour, but they have everything. 
but I am talking about people downtown mm -hmm. in the city. They so many people die, so many people uh, left the area. And you were evacuated too for a while too, were to the far east. Uh, no, uh, the problem is look, it's Chernobyl happened in Ukraine. Okay, the wind blew Nor uh, uh, northwest. Yeah, mm -hmm. straight to the Moscow, but of course they could not allow to reach the uh, Moscow area, and especially the city of Moscow. What they, they did, they pilots. Seeded the clouds. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And uh, it's why it's so much radiation came to Belarus. Mm -hmm. And because Chernobyl again is in Ukraine, nobody really pay attention to Belarus. I, I spoke a few years ago with my um, still friend in Belarus and what they're saying that now it's, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, it's built huge, huge, the hospital for people who get in cancer and it's always full. People dying, any age, babies, teenagers, older, middle age. My friend said that in her area, the cancer is killing Belarusian people. And uh, my friend told me that uh, in her street, every other house have somebody who died from cancer. And uh, of course, at least in the city, they, can, they have a lot of hospitals and a lot of support. But in the villages, people just dying. And uh, before, when it's happened, we uh, they given us some little money. We we call this coffin money. Coffin money. <laughs> yeah, because because you can buy just you know some milk or something. It just it's always like a joke, mm -hmm. you know. But then they say, oh, they cancel coffin money. Coffin money. <laughs> well, I was amazed when we visited outside of Chernobyl. I mean, when I was in Chernihiv, and we went to one of the villages where there were relatives living from some of the workers at the center. And the people were just, this was 1996 and 1997, the people were living at very meager amounts of money. They were paid $8 a month in mm. pension. These poor, poor women with broken down homes, and they gave them virtually nothing, and they had to survive on that. But uh, I'd, I never been in Ukrainian side, like mm. in villages, mm. but... I visit actually uh, Chernobyl, Pripyat. It's mm -hmm. a city where all staff living for Chernobyl. Pripyat. Uh -huh. Pripyat. Mm -hmm. And I was stunned. It was a beautiful, modern, very mm -hmm. beautiful city. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then we went through, through the, all these roads, through Belarus, and then coming to Pripyat. Belarusian villages are very rich there. I, I never been in Ukrainian, mm -hmm. but it's very, very rich areas because people... Very rich in what way? Uh, the beautiful houses, uh, uh -huh. cars, you know, mm -hmm. very well maintained. Very, you can see the people living good life. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because many of them used to work in the north. They, they got a good money and then retired in the area. Mm -hmm. And then they retired and Chernobyl happened. Oh. Well, you know, we, so you've been to Pripyat. I didn't, yeah, real, I didn't yeah. realize that because yeah. we mm -hmm. were there in the year yeah. 2003. Mm -hmm. Of course, this was uh, years after it was evacuated mm -hmm. and abandoned. 
And we could actually, this is before they even opened it up to tourist oh, yeah. mm-hmm. visitors. And I know that uh, our guide took us into the apartments of the people who lived there. Mm-hmm. And we actually went, I went into the apartment of the director of, oh, of, uh, of the Pripyat plant, you know, living in Pripyat. I think he, uh, uh, the current director, he killed himself. Yes. That, that was the one. Yeah, yeah, the, but, who was uh, in the time of when uh, Chernobyl happened, uh-huh. blowout. But we were there, and I walked into the apartment, and he had a grand piano there, and I even played a song on it. <laughs> I mean, I cannot believe I did that. But, I mean, it was, uh, uh, it was just eerie to, to see this whole town that was just evacuated. There was even a theme park, you know, with a circuit, mm-hmm. with, with, with the big Ferris wheel and, and that type carousel. of thing. Carousel. And it was, I know that they have actually uh, created a town similar to that in Ukraine, you know, for workers. Mm-hmm. But now the plant has been completely closed down. But for me, I just thinking the city was so beautiful. And then usually uh, in 90s, we never had... Uh, many stuff you can buy in the supermarket. So it was a difficult time for all, all uh, post-Soviet Union republics. And when we came to Chernobyl in the 90s, uh, and it was um, a very difficult time for economics for all post-republic countries, and we didn't have too much stuff you can buy in the supermarket. And we, when we came to visit Pripyat, the city for Chernobyl stuff, we said, oh, we need to go and buy stuff because they were so good, <laughs> you know, in the supermarket. We came, oh, and then we came to buy some clothes. And you say, oh, this is good. And then they say, only for Chernobyl stuff. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was beautiful city when Chernobyl happened and everybody were evacuated. I just, again, I was so, I just remember very, very good how we came f- uh, uh, first to the city, and it's a very wide avenues, a lot of trees, flowers, like modern, beautiful city. Mm-hmm. And now it's nothing. Nothing. And there's no plans for anything. And in this invasion by the Russians, yeah. the Russians came to the nuclear reactor mm-hmm. and they dug up a lot of dirt there that was radioactive and scattered it, you know, around knowingly or unknowingly. I mean, it's just a very, very crude, barbaric yeah, act. Yeah, but what I, uh, um, what I hear from, uh, uh, like, analysts, that all of these soldiers who dig in, it's called a uh, red forest. They're mm. not allowed to go there, even Chernobyl stuff. The radiation is still very high, especially like I believe like ten inches deep. Then this is all radiation where, wait, right, th- right now? Yes, uh-huh. yes. And when you are digging, you see, only iodine can. Uh, As a short. Yeah, yeah, sh- two weeks only. Mm. But other, it's have like um, 360 years, mm. some 1,000 years, and uh, you cannot dig them, and they dig. And uh, this anal- analyst an- uh, said that for sure they will not survive, mm. and th- they will die in pain, very bad pain. I'm, I'm thinking their officers, they're so ignorant, 
they never read about Chernobyl, they never hear about it. I just, for me, it's just again, no care about people. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's appalling. It's, it's truly, truly appalling how the mentality of the Russians, which was the number one country of the USSR, had towards the other republics, which they were supposedly united in all part of the USSR. But, you know, when now I am really reading, try to, try to catch the history, which I never could, and now um, following the modern history, the problem is the Putin robbed the nation. Now people living in the European part of Russia, not bad. But of course, Moscow, what I read, this is the best city in the living, for living in the world because mm. it's so comfortable, so many stuff. You know, you can go, you can get anything what you want. And uh, they, they, they paying well. They paying well for people who retire. They're giving additional money because it's most in clever and people, intelligent, and then a businessman who will, who will talk if they're not happy. Mm -hmm. And St. Petersburg as well, not so good, but yes. Mm -hmm. But if we go in after, even before Ural Mountain, or then in the rest of, uh, to the far east, people living so poor, like people from, from uh, like soldiers from Buryatia. Mm -hmm. It's on the north of China and Mongolia. They live in, in, the, in the mountains. They never see real uh, bathrooms mm -hmm. because they live in so poor. They never give government, never give them money how they're supposed to give. And they, they don't know anything. Uh, Russian army, it's managed like in barbaric way. Just abuse, abuse, and abuse. And because they got abuse, they're paying this abuse back. Mm -hmm. This is a problem. They're passing it on. Yeah, because mm -hmm. it's a normal for them. Mm -hmm. This is just um, pure evil. Mm -hmm. Natasha, Natalia, mm -hmm. here in 1986, when the accident occurred, I didn't really meet you until the year 2000, which was yeah. 14 years later. What did you do in that 14-year period? Where did you live and how did you live? I used to live where I used to live, <laughs> in Gomel. Mm -hmm. I uh, used to work in scientific office. It was very good. I was very happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have a little cottage house uh, and uh, like a piece of land when we grow uh, veggie, fruits, um, that it will be enough for whole year. I don't know. It was, it was good life. I live. Uh, I used to live in the very center of the city. But what about the effects of Chernobyl, which was seventy miles away? Was there just not talked about, or? I uh, after Chernobyl happened same year, they start uh, to not. Is this not evacuation? It's like they. The mothers with little children, they send us like for the, it's not camps, but because they put in us in the hotels or in some uh, spa hotel, something like mm -hmm. this, for like three or four weeks. And uh, my son was three years old and it affected him very badly. He was very slim, always not well. Um, 
I don't know how it affected me really because yeah. I was in such stress <laughs> that I, I and I um, just I I'm not sure it's very yeah. difficult to evaluate to evaluate. Okay, because I didn't really know too much about that 14-year period of being so close to Chernobyl and how it affected your health. It probably did. I really I don't remember uh -huh. because I remember always working in the office, then going to cottage, uh, to, to work in cottage, mm -hmm. then uh, going with my son to library, to <laughs> different stuff. I was very busy. I don't remember really. Well, we are so happy to have you here living with us. I mean, I just really consider with the work that I have done, which has been minimal with the Russian-speaking area, you know, I've gone over there many times to Estonia and worked with our a senior pastor and all that, but you have just really been the one who knows the Russian language the best. And like I had said at the earlier part, you understand the spiritual aspect of the translation and how the words are to come across and even how the ideas are to come across. But uh, um, thank you. I really, I am not. <laughs> I need to be much better. But uh, you did, a b you helped a lot in Eastern Europe. And I, I believe that you will be. <laughs> yeah. No, really. Yeah. We believe that. Well, we are to be. preach the gospel to the entire yeah, world yeah, and yeah. to use our skills and all that. But without you, I don't know what, where we would have gone. I mean, without God. Well, should we, should we translate this booklet Russian in, in prophecy? Because when I look through, I found only one uh, one middle article. Number, I think it was three, but number two by Mario Signe, and it was okay. But then looking closer, knowing Russian mentality, special going on, what is going on now, it will be very offended for Russian people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking that it should not be translated yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because we like to show, to open for people truth. Mm -hmm. No offended. Because even we believe it's what Bible shows, but it's not certain. It's what we believe. We will see it's happen or not. And because it's not 100%, we don't need to offend anybody. We need to show God's plan mm -hmm. and how to follow this road and become part of God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's why I am really, I'm trying to be very careful of what to put in a, a Russian magazine because in American version of, uh, of United Church of God magazine, uh, good, uh, uni uh, Beyond, today. Beyond Today, it's a lot of uh, articles for American audience and for church member who knows all our doctrines for decades. Mm -hmm. But I believe that for Eastern Europe, it's important to show basics, what is, why it's important to keep Sabbath, to keep holidays, what uh, what holiday means, I think, th and what is really baptism, mm -hmm. just not sprinkles, like <laughs> like <laughs> like I was sprinkled when I was yeah. twenty seven. <laughs> <laughs> when you were twenty seven? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was <laughs> difficult time of life, and I said maybe I should go and go and baptize, mm -hmm. and uh, it was my friend from the office said, oh. My friend, uh, she wanted to do this, and she was in high position. She organized for us secret baptism. <laughs> we went to different city that nobody knows in the in the priest's home, 
and uh, pay him and he sprinkle us and we say oh now life will be good <laughs> <laughs> well this, this is this is now what year about 1990 oh i don't know it was uh, 87 okay this is uh, when something like this this was when when religion was come was <laughs> not yet not yet it was still soviet union mm-hmm. and because uh, because of my friend friend she was in high position mm-hmm. Uh, then nobody should know that we went to the church. And well, well we I know that you know, religion was was pretty much oppressed before that, before the mid-80s or so. I'm was s- I am sorry. I don't know anything. I was an atheist. <laughs> well, that's what a lot of people were atheists because that's what the government policy was. What policy? They, they taught us at school, in the university, that it's no God. Right, and that's why you were atheists. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, my family was quite educated, and we look in, in these grandmothers going to these little churches. Uh, we look at them down. Oh, what they what they can understand? They are not educated. We look mm-hmm. at them; they they are nothing. Mm-hmm. And I never thought that I will be a religious fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly are a beautiful person inside. You know, with your character, and we much, very much appreciate that. So. Uh, then we are very happy to have you here in the United States. You talked about your background, too, in the first podcast that we had. But, Natalia, it's been wonderful talking to you today. It was always wonderful talking to you. <laughs> and I know that the people who are listening to this podcast will really appreciate knowing more about Natalia. And we appreciate you very, very much and your husband here in this area. And we are, you know, very, very good friends. So thank you for joining us today on the Cubic Report. So we thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today. Please let a friend know about our podcast. If you enjoyed this one, please pass the word around. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Pocketcaster, Podchaser, Podbean, and many other platforms as well. We'd love to hear from you. Write to me at vcubic at gmail.com vkubik at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for future podcasts. So thank you for listening. Come back soon for more. <laughs>